most exceptional people become aware of the Matrix. Those that learn it exists must possess a rare degree of intuition, sensitivity, and a questioning nature. gentlemen welcome to our third episode of grumpy octopus presents with chowski watch hello hello this is vicky this is camden yay and today we are talking about the animatrix which are nine short animated films that deal with the world of the matrix there's nice. some that take place before during in between Yes, uh, the Animatrix came out shortly before uh, the Matrix Reloaded did, mm -hmm. and was uh, designed to be seen with it, essentially, although a lot of people did not see it or know it existed, I think, Yeah. or at least didn't realize that it would add to the experience of seeing Reloaded. I know the Wachowskis were trying to do a lot of cross-media for storytelling, like through video games, through shorts, obviously through the films themselves. Also, we are not entirely sure, I think, about the veracity of this, but yes. supposedly they wanted to make a prequel and a sequel for the uh, two movies following the original Matrix, and they were told they couldn't make a prequel because the audience just would be attached to the characters in the first one and wouldn't want wouldn't want all new ones. Mm -hmm. And so I think part of the motivation of the Animatrix was also to allow them to tell some of those stories that they weren't going to get a chance to tell in the actual live-action trilogy. Yeah, it really, especially for Reloaded, it really helps watching the Animatrix because you actually get introduced to events that take place immediately before, and you're also introduced to characters that show up in Reloaded and Revolutions. Mm -hmm. And so if you did what I did and watched The Matrix, The Matrix Reloaded, and then Revolutions, you know, in the order of when the movies came out, uh, you're not going to know who some of these characters are and be really confused as to why they are already there and seem to have not much of an introduction. So yes. the Animatrix kind of covers that, but they also expand on just, you know, the history of The Matrix. Yeah, and, and it's a bit of a, a playground for... Yes the different animators mm -hmm. and uh, writers and directors that the Wachowskis invited to participate. Yeah, and it's just kind of them expanding on the world and getting to play with it. So you get to see different styles of animation and different stories that, you know, they, they get to play with. So you get to see kind of the full potential of the Matrix mm -hmm. um, as a concept, which is really awesome. So I guess we could start off by saying when we first saw it, that's kind of our deal, Okay. and initial reactions, and then we can go through, and since there are nine shorts, we could just briefly talk summarize and talk about each one. I'm reasonably certain we saw it together yes, for the first time. I think so. Um, I had never seen it before. I don't remember if I had even heard about it back when the movies actually came out, mm -hmm. and, I, and I saw them, but over the years, uh, I would see it mentioned, and the common way it was mentioned was often people saying that it was really good and better in certain ways than the actual sequels. That it was just as ambitious, but it didn't have some of the flaws that are usually attributed to the sequels. So I was always intrigued to watch it, but uh, I never got around to it. Mm -hmm. 
And also, I just really had never seen much uh, anime or anything like that, so uh, I wasn't sure if the style would be for me or not, but I like it now, so, <laughs> you know. I don't know if you had heard about it I, Yeah, I had heard about it before. I remember seeing kind of the cover of it and being confused because I'm like, that's not the Matrix. There's too many letters in front of it for it to be the yeah. Matrix. But they had, I think on one cover, it's the shot of the, the main character from the final flight of the Osiris. It's like her in red leather, that character. Yeah, actually... um. I know I had heard of it because I played the game they made yeah, at the same and time. Yeah, everything um, kind of ties into everything. Yeah, we, we won't be talking about that, partially because I don't, I don't really remember it. But yeah. uh, it's called Enter the Matrix. Yes, and it's and, important to note uh, that yeah, one it, of the shorts is like an, essentially a prologue to the, the video game. Mm-hmm. And it contains filmed scenes that were filmed with Reloaded and Revolutions. That, you know, they aren't essential, but they do fill out some of the minor character stories. So really, the Wachowski is intended for the ideal audience member, I think, to play the game and watch the movie and see the Animatrix. And I remember seeing references to the Animatrix when I, when I played that back then, but yeah, I didn't really know what it was. Same. There was already a lot going on with the game and the movies. It was yes. a bit overwhelming. That is true. It's a lot of content. Cool idea, but uh, cool. hard for most people to take full advantage of it. Yeah. All right, so there are nine shorts. We could list them off or just go one by one. It depends. Just go one by one. One by one. It's important to note that when if you do watch it, either on like DVD or Blu-ray, it's in like a certain order, but it's not chronological order, and there are some questions of what comes before what. No, well, yeah, you could watch... the actual timeline. You could watch most of them as a standalone. Exactly. Pieces. I think there's obviously an intention to the order. Yeah, but, which uh, we can talk about. Not, not all of it, you know. There are definitely a few in the middle where it probably wouldn't matter as much. Mm-hmm. But certainly the, the beginning and the ending, I think, are pretty particularly chosen. All right, you want to start with the first one? Yes. All right. The first one is The Final Flight of Osiris which was written by the Wachowskis and directed by Andy Jones, like we said. This one is the prologue to the video game Enter the Matrix. And it's also events that take place... Oh, that one's the prologue to Reloaded. Well, it is. It's that too, but apparently like the events of this, of them dropping off the package, is what kind of triggers the Enter the Matrix game. Yes, well, the Osiris, right, is the ship that, well, it blows up. And, uh, Spoilers. <laughs> that's what happens, yes. Yep. It's chased down and, and blown up, and they're talking about that at the start of Reloaded, I believe. Yeah. And it's kind of unclear. I mean, you don't have to see it. It does really help, though. Yeah, the backstory is just there's they're saying, you know, something just happened. We don't know why this went so badly for the crew, but they sent us a message before they died. And in the short, you just get to see that happen, essentially. And the game mm-hmm. uh, focused mainly on... Uh, characters of Niobe and Ghost, which is uh, Jada Pinkett Smith, and I, I don't know who the actor is, but they are in Reloaded and Revolutions, but mainly on the sidelines, and you're essentially just seeing them go on uh, whatever mission they've been ordered to in the movie, too. So it's, it's all stuff you're told about, essentially, in the movie, mm-hmm. but these are just instances where you get to see it happen. Yeah. So yeah, it is it is a prequel to that, too. It's, it's all sort of about the opening scene of Reloaded, which does make a lot more sense when you know what's going on because all these captains are meeting and you actually know why they're doing it if you've seen the the animatrix this one is i don't know how much we want to talk about the animation but this one by far to me looks like 
the most realistic yeah, well, cutscene for a video game CGI ever. CGI one. Yeah. Um, you know, most of them are traditional. This one looks uh, hand-drawn. far uh, the most realistic. Do you want to talk about what happens in it? Yeah. Uh, it. Well, it starts uh, with the man and the woman, who's the, the captain, I think, and like probably the second in command of the ship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're just in, in the Matrix training program doing a little... A sexy simulation. Yeah, I wrote down weird dojo foreplay. <laughs> Cyber yeah, sex. Yeah, uh, sort Question of, mark? you know, Wachowski's indulging a little bit of uh, anime tropes, I think, which is a pretty common thing in uh, the Animatrix in general, having mm-hmm. some fun with it. Then there's an alert. They're brought back into the ship in the real world because machines are coming. Mm-hmm. They are chased down, essentially, and I believe the ship sort of flies, uh, flies out of the tunnels. Yeah, flies into the surface of... Yeah. Uh, the uh, real world and before they essentially blow up the ship to destroy all sentinels. all little sentinels that are gathered around they send a message because uh, I just remembered what the point is because <laughs> they see uh, yeah. they see all the sentinels digging down above Zion yes so they send the message to the other ships they send a message in the matrix to be picked up mm-hmm. that says you know you all better watch out because Zion's about to get broken into yep and that's, yeah, that's how Reloaded starts, is it's actually kind of hard to notice sometimes, but that movie takes place in a very short time frame. Yes. As does Revolutions, because they've essentially just gotten the message that says the machines are going to break in in like a few days or like 24 hours, yeah, essentially. Yeah, it, it's a very quick timeline. Yeah. I also, I don't know if this is true or not, but between The Matrix and The Matrix Reloaded, and obviously the events that we're talking about prior, uh, there's apparently only like six months span between those. Mm-hmm. So you get a six-month span between the first movie and the sequels, and then between the two sequels and stuff that relates in the Animatrix. It's like a very quick turnaround. It's like probably less than a week. Well, that's pretty reasonable, I yeah, think. I mean, makes sense. when they go to Zion and Reloaded, that's it's not the first time Neo's been there, is it? No. But it definitely seems like he hasn't been there very much. Yeah, he's still not used to it. Uh, he, like, he talks to some people that he doesn't seem to have ever interacted before. You know, it's yeah. not like he's comfortable there, really. It definitely makes sense that it, there isn't a big gap between yeah. the first and the second. My big question is, and I feel really stupid for asking this, is for this particular short, when the ship surfaces mm-hmm. and they see the machines are digging and four kilometers down is like Zion and yeah. they're like, oh crap. I was curious as to why they have to specifically enter the matrix to send the message. I wasn't sure what their broadcasting systems are. And I think it's, yeah. it's just, a, I mean, just on a logical level, I, I wasn't quite sure. I mean, like from a, a visual standpoint, it's really cool to see her do these really graceful acrobatic moves through, you know, a power plant lines, dropping down with a nice ripple effect, which is a nice kind of visual shorthand of what you're going to see for Reloaded. And, you know, her dropping off the message, you're like, wow, this looks really cool. It's nice to see in an animated style. It kind of exaggerates everything in the world, and that's visually very stunning. But on a logical level, I was like, why do they have to go into the Matrix to deliver the message? Well, I think from what we can see mm-hmm. in, in all three movies, the ships only really seem to communicate with each other when they're very close by. Okay. You know, like with these short-term radios or something. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, yeah, they have any sort of real long-distance messaging system. And even if they did, since they're, like, on the surface, they're probably They could get hacked, I guess. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. I was just like, what? Yeah, the implication is, is I think, that they have a lot of 
backup plans set up for this sort of thing where, you know, they have people looking out for certain locations in the matrix where they can pick up messages and things like mm-hmm. that. So I think that's just uh, the reason is they, they, they use the matrix to communicate because it is in some ways safer, uh, safer and faster than trying to do it in the real world, even though it obviously comes with its own dangers. Yeah, I also enjoyed with this one, it's a nice shorthand for kind of a re-entry into the series. They show you the, the kind of tragic visual of dying in the Matrix because you died on board your ship in the real world, which harkens back to the Matrix movie, you know, with the cipher and everybody. Mm-hmm. But then it also instantly hooks you and grabs you into like, hey, look, the world is expanding. Let's set you up for the sequels by showing you, like, here's tunneling systems that they mention are not fully mapped out. And then literally here's the surface, which you're going to see again in the sequels. Mm-hmm. We did also mention while we were watching it that we were both very impressed that, um, which we didn't talk about in The Matrix, uh, the crews of these ships are very diverse, and that's awesome. Yeah, the, just in general, there's there's a lot of diversity in the cast, and mm-hmm. it's sort of done almost without any attention drawn to yeah. it, I think, either. Which isn't that hard to do, especially in Reloaded, when you have all these ships with all these crews. But yeah, it's still a nice thing that they actually paid attention to. Oh, I think uh, it's worth mentioning, I guess, that this is obviously the first one in the Animatrix for a reason. In a way, I think it could be like the last one, too. It that is would work. technically in the... T- if we're going chronologically, it should be the last yes. story told if you were going to watch The Matrix the Animatrix, and then Reloaded and Revolutions, because it literally hooks right up into You Reloaded. could see if they wanted people to watch The Animatrix a little bit before The Matrix, Yeah. that that would be the ending, and it would really hook you and make you think, like, well, I gotta see Reloaded now. Mm-hmm. But I think, obviously, they put it in the beginning to... We'll do the same thing to hook you into The Animatrix itself, since it's gonna get weirder and a bit less related to the yes. story later, just to start off with a bang and and go like okay we're introducing you to the world of animation that you are going to be in but it's still heavily tied to the stuff you've seen previously so i think it makes sense to start with that one yeah it's good it's very tragic and heroic and i enjoyed it yeah it's a good one and it just it's by far one of the more straightforward ones and it's going to get a lot weirder from here on out because the next the next short we have coming up is the second renaissance part one it was directed by i'm not going to be able to pronounce all these names right just in advance and i apologize no offense it's directed by mihiro maida i believe all right and um they based it off of some stories that the wachowskis wrote called bits and pieces of info um, just to help with, I think, the background of the Matrix when they're getting prepped for the movies. So, yeah, I'm assuming, essentially, the Wachowskis wrote a history. set up yeah. the history, and then they said, you know, you can focus on which parts you think would be most traumatic for yes. the story, probably, something yeah. like that. Yeah. It obviously all comes from them, Yes. I think, because, I mean, they're not going to let anyone else create the lore of no. the entire story. Yeah, it should yeah. be noted that, like, the Wachowskis thought long and hard and planned this entire world well before they set about writing the the first script for the the matrix so they do everything is their history but as to whether or not they specifically wrote each of the shorts is you know 
not always the yeah. case, but it and is for this one as well. I assume well. that the part two of Second Renaissance is, is basically the same yeah. people. and It's essentially just one long short, but it's been split. You know, it's split at a dramatic point, which is two. good. Yeah. But, you know, you could cut out the, the second title screen, and it would essentially just be one long short. It has the same style all the way through, etc. Ri- I mean, both Second Renaissance Part 1 and Part 2, it's the same people. Mm-hmm. Same director based off of the same stuff that was information that was given to them by the Wachowskis. And since this is the backstory, you know, you're essentially getting all of the directly plot-relevant information right off the bat, and then all of the weirder shorts are later. Yep. So that's interesting, too, uh, but I think you could still consider that to be drawing the viewer in. Yes. Considering that Second Renaissance is in a style that is much more like the art of most of the others. Mm-hmm. So it's more classic. Yeah, the, it's the not first, CGI. The first short is sort of abnormal in the context of the rest of them, but uh, this is more like this is what we're going to be doing from now on, mostly. Yes. There's lots to say about it. There's so much. So, I mean, you could honestly just do a whole episode on these two shorts themselves, just because they have a lot of background. So, yeah, for part one, it starts with the very trippy, I don't know, Zion archives. And you have clicked on a file, and it's telling you the background story of man and the machines and the war that they raged. And it's essentially the origin story of how we got the machines to create the Matrix. So for the first part, they're talking about how man essentially created uh, AI and have them working for them in the labor force. And since humans don't really have to work in the labor force anymore, they kind of get a little bit lazy and corrupt. So what ends up happening, it's kind of like a Frankenstein Prometheus story of man is is the architect of the AI. There's a huge issue because the AI is kind of getting abused. And this comes to fruition with one particular humanoid machine which is called B166ER which if you write it down looks like the word bigger which I believe is a reference to Thomas Bigger which is something you guys can look into is he a philosopher? Uh, no he's a he's basically he's a character in a story that I cannot think of off the top of my head right now but it essentially deals with a guy who it deals with racism essentially and him being on trial for murder and like the events that led up to that I well that sounds like some actually subtle messaging yes from the Wachowski's again there. but you guys can definitely look into that background of that and the naming of the characters is really interesting but I don't think we have enough time to cover all of that but it's just a fun note that they do slip in all these references even in their animated shorts so anyway what happened with this particular machine is he killed his owner and now he's on trial because there's this whole issue kind of like the Dred Scott trial of does he have rights as a human or on the flip side does he not have rights as a human and do humans want to implement the right to destroy their property so is he property or is he human and long story short they make a case against him he loses the case and they destroy him and then that kind of triggers a bunch of riots of machines and humans together. There's the Million Machine March. There's a shit ton of violence. It's very disturbing to watch. These shorts are definitely not for younger viewers. I remember being particularly disturbed while a crowd goes crazy and they tear apart a female AI robot. Not fun Mm -hmm. to look at. Anywho, um, there's a bunch of protests, there's mass graves, they kind of call for a 
eradication of AI machines, and some of them manage to escape. They flee and create their own city called Zero One, which is somewhere in Saudi Arabia, I believe. Mm -hmm. And they start creating, you know, their own artificial intelligence. So instead of humans making machines, it's machines making machines, and it's getting implemented and sent out to all of the world economies, and it's doing really, really well. And as a result, the economies of the other countries are kind of dipping. They essentially decide to put economic sanctions on Zero One. Zero One tries to make a case to enter the UN, and they get denied brutally. That's the first part, right? That's, That's the, first, the first, part. first part. ends. first part ends with the, the AI machines coming to the UN, offering a literal apple, which is, you know, beautiful imagery of knowledge and all that fun stuff, and then them getting taken away and denied. And then it's saying, this won't be the last time that the machines are on the UN floor. <laughs> and that's how part one ends. Um, it's a lot of uh, very disturbing visuals of violence, and it deals you know, with xenophobia, racism, and then the huge grand concept of what it means to be human, and all that fun philosophical stuff. Yeah. I'd say that the second part is pretty straightforward, isn't it? Yeah. It's pretty much just the... The actual Yeah, and the machine's not taking that no for an answer and, and rising up and... Yep. They win. <laughs> they win, yeah. It's very, very grotesque. That's the, the coolest sequence, I think. It is. It's gorgeous and grotesque. Interesting. What, what did I want to mention? It was uh, some sort of creature... Just write it down. I don't. I don't know if I wrote it down. <laughs> uh, there was some sort of. Demon oh yes, it did. Uh, the demon robot horse. Yes, demon robot horse. Yes. And it looks very pretty. It's a beautiful visual of like a horse on fire, but it's a mechanical horse with an AI like soldier running across the battlefield. Mm -hmm. It kind of burns like down, so you can only see the skeletal. Yes. Underneath. Um, it's visually very stunning and, like I said, very grotesque, and kind of reminds me of the Horseman of Death. Oh yeah. It's got a lot of, a lot of uh, references to biblical events. So basically. Yeah. Yeah. They. Yeah. So basically, in this war, one, there's a war. The the there's nuclear blasts everywhere from the humans. The robots obviously being made of metal doesn't really affect them. Oh yeah, the the humans do do the thing. Where yeah, they, they do they the dark storm the final solution operation where they blot out the sun, which is referenced in the first Matrix by Morpheus when he's explaining it to Neo. And it doesn't really work. There's full-scale war. The machines pretty much win. And they don't want to completely eradicate the human race. And so they decide that they will build a construct, which is the very beginnings of the Matrix simulation. And they test a lot of human bodies. And there's a lot of gross medical scenes. And that's literally just the origins of the Matrix. Well, then they, they go back to the UN, right? Because they Yeah, they and they, decide, they tell them... Uh, you need to hand over your flesh. It's a relic. <laughs> yeah, now basically making humans property. You know. Yes. Like now, now you don't get to be. Yeah. Autonomous. It's, yeah, it's a full 180, and it's like a very literal symbiotic relationship between man and machine that has come to you know full circle. Mm -hmm. I, AI were property, and now humans are property. Yeah, in a, in a way, I think that uh, although, as you say, you could talk about 
It's like Renaissance a lot. It's also really the most straightforward story. Yes. It just kind of fills in all the blanks for you, which yeah. is really nice. And I would say of, of all the expansions of the initial premise of the first movie, is easily like the most successful without any issues. It's just exactly what you would want to see pretty much and exactly what you would expect. A, a very old sort of story, just, you know, AI rises up, but the style of it and the... The visual storytelling and the storytelling itself is very... And it's succinct. It doesn't overstay its welcome or anything. It just tells you what happened, Mm -hmm. and it's it's sufficiently horrifying, scary. It's a very believable way of, oh, this could totally happen, which is Mm -hmm. horrifying. But it's interesting that, and it ties very, very closely into Reloaded with the Architect, which obviously we'll talk about. Yes. Uh, It really ties into the, the lore and the the theory of how many test runs they did with the matrix before they got to the level that they're at now so it's important for background and moving forward with the story and it's really disturbing can't stress that enough (laughs) but yeah so that is the third short and then we move on to the kids story which is one of my favorite shorts and also really helps if you see before you watch Reloaded because yeah. you're literally introduced to a character and then he's already established and Reloaded and you're like, am I supposed to know who this is? The most helpful short, I think. Yes. I mean, obviously, like, the final side of the Cyrus is more important. For plot. But you don't really need to see it. Uh, whereas, <laughs> I mean, uh, I remember watching Reloaded and, and being like, I don't know who this I kid is. I don't know who the kid is. I mean, I didn't really care. I've never understood why. It just it's threw a me off. Deal. It is not. It just kind of throws you off because you don't get a like full-on proper introduction. Because yeah. obviously, you get introduced to new characters. I, I will say that the continuous message of their conversations in Reloaded is him saying like, "Neo, you're so great. You saved Neo, my life." Saved and Neo me. saying, uh, "You know, I didn't save you. You saved yourself." And it's kind of unclear if this is like a nice metaphor or something but you know when you see this short you realize that he's actually just saying the truth like he didn't really save him so it is nice to get clarification on that but aside from that i would say it it basically is fine without it that is pretty helpful though especially as the kid becomes much more prominent in uh revolutions yeah and so it's just kind of nice to actually know what his story is when you're watching that stuff yeah and it's a cool one because it's also an expansion on people getting out of the matrix Mm -hmm. and it does tell you kind of what's happening in those six months between the movie the first movie and the second movie you're like like, neo's going around helping people i guess we should run that down since we (laughs) were talking about it this is a very simple story it's um it's also the stories by the wachowskis it's directed by oh gosh again apologies for the pronunciation i believe it's shinishiro wantanabe oh yeah well it's the he's the guy who did uh, the creator of cowboy bebop Shinichiro Watanabe? I'm not sure. Sounds about right. Yes. So, the kid's story has kind of sketchy Xerox-like animation style. It's almost like Impressionism. It's not very straightforward lines, clearly defined. It doesn't, it gives a really good sense of almost not being real because there's like pencil sketches, pen sketches. Um, It's really cool, and I don't think any of the other shorts visually look like it. But it's essentially this kid who is known in the sequels as the kid. He is kind of an outcast high school student who is having issues with feeling what's real and what's reality. So kind of like Neo in the first one, 
and he goes to online forums to ask people about like are my senses lying why doesn't everything feel quite right and then he gets a response which <laughs> is similar to how neo got a response from trinity in the first one anyway so he's writing in these forums and they're pretty much telling him like fiction and truths and all that stuff are kind of intertwined and he goes to a high school which is called Clearview High School because there's that subtlety again <laughs> and uh, essentially gets a phone call from Neil, uh, Neo in the middle of class and tells him that the agents are on to him he needs to get out so he gets out he does this really cool like escape sequence with skateboards mm -hmm. and nothing looks quite real the, I mean the agents are running like backwards and forwards there's a lot of like questioning of reality there with just the animation, how realistic it is, or not realistic, I should say. Uh, you also noted that the music sounds like Prince of Persia music <laughs> during the escape. Some Middle Eastern music for yes, the kid. Yes, it's very interesting. Uh, anyway, and so essentially he escapes. He climbs up to the top of the roof. The agents are at the, up at the top. They're about to catch him. He kind of reiterates that uh, he believes in Neo, and he falls off the building people go to his funeral and they have some very on-the-nose dialogue of like this was an unbalanced kid who didn't feel right in the world and you know didn't had a hard time with reality well now he's in a different world entirely his name on the tombstone is Michael Carl Popper and I believe that is a reference to a philosopher 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 yeah that is well, a, he's me, the kid. He's his the name kid. doesn't matter. Yes, but it's it's just fun because um, he wakes up, and Neo and Trinity are there, and they're both stunned. They're like, he's self-actualized and got himself out of the Matrix. That's very rare. So it's just fun because it expands on the idea of there's multiple ways of actually getting unplugged from the Matrix. Mm -hmm. You don't ha always necessarily have to take the red pill or the blue pill to get out. And so that kind of helps get background on his character. It's, it's kind of unclear what the uh, what the pills do. I think it's uh, in the m first movie they say it's like a tracking signal. Yeah, I mean obviously it helps them find the body, but I don't know why it helps them wake up. Yeah. Uh, it must do something to the brain. Yeah, I, I don't, don't know. I think it just helps them find the body so they can physically unplug it and get them out. Well, but when Neo is unplugged, uh, yeah. he gets super unplugged, and he's sort of sitting there, and then he gets flushed down, and mm -hmm. they pick him up. Yeah. So if they somehow did something to the pod, they must have done it, like, not physically. You know? Yeah, I it's, think it's they, unclear. I don't I, think we're not supposed sure to think about it too much. <laughs> I've always thought that maybe they, they send some sort of message to the brain that essentially... Wakes him up from his creepy yeah, gel pod. Jerks you out of the uh, the fantasy and yeah. makes you see where you are. Yeah, it's just fun because it, like I said, expands on how you can get out of the matrix. But it also does what we talk about and what will happen in the sequels. Kind of explains certain tropes and stories, like the unbalanced kid who doesn't feel like he fits in. Well, there's an explanation for that. It's because they're in the matrix, similar to how in Reloaded they talk about glitches in the system. Are a result oh, yeah. of like you know vampires and werewolves so it's fun it's a cool expansion i like that one a lot anyway the next one is called program and it's uh, written and directed by yoshiaki kawajiri 
Sounds good to me. Sounds good. Again, I'm <laughs> so sorry on the pronunciations. This one, do you want to talk about? Well, this is the one that is very uh, <laughs> anime styled, I think. Uh, you see the um, woman and man who are initially not fighting. They're just sort of riding on. They're Yeah, they're bouting. They're, like they're, yeah, they're, they're f- sparring. Yes. Yes. And they're wearing some very elaborate... Elaborate costumes. Yeah, it looks like they're like back in uh, feudal Japan. Yeah, feudal Japan or something. And they're just doing it for training. And the guy starts basically saying to the girl that things aren't going well, and like he's gonna go pull a cipher. (laughs) Yeah, he's gonna go back into the matrix, and he wants her to come with him. And she's like, "Oh my god, that's horrible! I can't do it. That's a betrayal." And it's, this is a pretty short one, you know, they, yeah. they just, they fight over it, essentially. And she manages to defeat him and reject his, his attempts to convince her to go with him. Uh, and then she wakes up in uh, the ship, and it is revealed that the other guy isn't real, and this is just a training program, essentially, to test your loyalty as a member of the ship. Yes. And she's kind of offended by, you know, that, by them tricking her like that. Mm-hmm. And she, she gets mad at her crew members, but they all essentially look proud of her. Yeah. Because she did it. Yeah. That's pretty much the whole thing. I think it's fun because they really went crazy with the style on this one. Yeah. I also like the idea that they mention it in the short when the, the two characters, it's like duo and size or something, they meet up. And he's like, oh, I see you're in your favorite virtual simulation. So it's, again, another fun expansion in the Matrix where there are training programs and people can have favorites. Yeah, and they I, really ran wild with they did. the training program idea, I think, Yeah. in, in the Animatrix, which kind of helps. You know, in the Matrix, you just see, like, oh, you learn martial arts and uh, the you learn how to jump over stuff. Yeah. You know, I guess you learn how to conceive of the Matrix as uh, not entirely real. But you know, once you get into the animatrix, it's more like a holodeck or something in Star Trek. Like you yeah. can do whatever you yeah. want. Yeah, it can reminds be in me Japan. of like. You can. It reminds me a bit of just all those other virtual reality stories, like Ready Player One, and just mm-hmm. picking your favorite spots, and also a little bit like Westworld, where you can just kind of go to different worlds that you want to go to. Uh, spoilers for Westworld, by the way, guys. Sorry Almost about that. It makes the Matrix sound, sound very enticing and entertaining. Yes, I mean, this one is technically like, um, if they're like testing programs. It's true, it's safe, not actually it's not an actual I guess matrix. it makes virtual reality seem very enticing. Yes, but it is also interesting because it does discuss the concept of the red pill and truth and reality because Duo says, he's like, I don't care about the truth or what's real anymore. What matters is how I live my life, which is similar to, you know, Cypher not enjoying the truth and wanting to go back and so, again, talks about how not everybody who's unplugged is happy to be unplugged. And I thought it was interesting because it is revealed at the end that it is a, you know, a training program and a test, essentially. I forgot about that. Yeah. Which is, and she's pretty pissed off about it, and I believe rightfully so. And it's weird because it's like it's a test that demands you to accept the real world by manipulating and deceiving you mm-hmm. into a, like a false reality, which kind of gets really trippy. But, yeah, it just deals with the you know, nature of reality and what it is and if people really care what's real and what's not. So that's a good one. And it's it just gives a good excuse to go crazy with the art style, with the training programs. Yeah. So that one's fun. 
The next one is World Record, also by the same director as Program. It's written by him, but it's directed by uh, Takashi Koiki. <laughs> I am so sorry. But anyway, uh, it's just it. important to note that even though it's written by him, it's not directed by the guy from the previous one. Well, yeah, it doesn't look the same. No, not at all. You want to talk about this one? Well, this one basically looks pretty um, traditional, like hand-drawn anime stylings. Not that weird pencil, pen scratching of kid's story or anything. Mm -hmm. Which I bring up mainly because I think this one has a lot in common with kid's story. I would say I always notice that the characters are very uh, exaggerated in this one. Mm -hmm. In the art style, that's the thing I notice the most. I mean, the main character's hands are so obsessively detailed mm -hmm. and and that sort of thing it's almost kind of grotesque occasionally like with the close-ups they do of these of these guys yeah. but it's very uh, noticeable mm -hmm. but yeah this is, this is about a runner that was it the start of it he um has it's pretty he's much he's gotten injured yeah he? what happened is he is a sprinter competing in some sort of you know world event competition yeah. and Olympics, he's broken the world record and he's r ran like 8.99 which is mm -hmm. insane and people are saying oh he was doping they have to strip him of his medal and so now he's like i'm gonna come back and race and prove that i wasn't doping yeah. and kind of get my reputation back so it's him racing but it's intercut it's kind of non-linear flashbacks. flashbacks of what's happened prior to that so you know his dad supports him there's a young reporter that supports him his trainers <laughs> very comically freaking out on being like your muscles will explode yeah you know people like they don't think he can do it they think it's too much right does do it but in the process of doing it he like exerts so much willpower that he temporarily breaks himself out of the simulation. Mm -hmm. he, can, he can see the numbers of, you know, the, the code of the matrix. Mm -hmm. He is coming to life. He, he wakes up in his pod very briefly. Yes, it's terrifying. And uh, they basically sedate him back in, it seems like it. And uh, they're very, very worried about what's happening. It's like uh, agents are keeping tabs on him the whole time. Like, they know that he's, he's yeah. so good. This Which is going to happen, maybe. I enjoy I love the idea of, like, really expanding on the idea of what can happen in the Matrix. I just love the idea of agents just hanging around at Olympic sporting events being like, oh, hope they don't break too many records. <laughs> we have to good, keep an eye on their pods. They, they might be. They break might be. reality itself. Exactly. Which is fun because the guy, when he's talking to a young reporter in the flashback of like, hey, you ran under nine seconds. How does it feel? And he says, it's like you're released from the world totally free. Mm -hmm. um, and it's fun because the whole story is framed almost kind of like a Zion archive where they're talking about examples of people who become aware of yes. the Matrix. They start by saying like these people are very rare and exceptional people for having like intuition sensitivity and questioning nature but there are some people where it's just a completely different alternative where yeah. they just run really fast and then the end right essentially he's he's rather injured from yeah he, he did he did sort of break his muscle yeah it's really grotesque <laughs> but uh, he can still sort of see and understand and the agents are sort of trying to stop him still yeah he it's left ambiguously though he's, he's standing up even though he shouldn't be able to he's seeing out of the matrix again and there's trying and to says stop the him word free yeah. yeah he says free i think you're sort of left with the idea that they they leave him be yeah because he can't really do anything but he is free in his mind in a way yes 
if not completely so yeah. and so obviously that that's very similar to the idea of kids story that uh you can just use your own will to get to out think yourself out of the matrix yeah. whether on purpose or by accident which is cool i also i have to I re- i'm looking at my notes i in terms of animation it reminded me so much of the space jam animation <laughs> where michael jordan is making a deal with the aliens for a, uh, a basketball game and they're like all right but if you lose this is what's gonna happen <laughs> and it cuts to like an animation sequence of like michael jordan with these aliens playing like basketball all day long and signing out i do remember that do you remember that that's what the lots animation of, uh, style reminds me of lots of like shadows shadows and, and muted like base colors <laughs> yeah. i was just like oh my god that's like what it is um but the animation also does lend itself to like you said exaggerated body shapes i mean that's good for for the sprinting animation yeah but it, it is it, it's kind of gross it's gross but it's interesting because like with the movement it reminds you of a machine at least to me it's hmm. like they're just pumping away with an intense amount of energy and perfect form and then it just kind of falls apart and bursts and it's very disturbing Mm -hmm. but that's a good one as well and fun fact he does break his record of 8.99 gets down to 8.72 so much better so much better take that usain bolt (laughs) (laughs) that's insane what's next the next one is Beyond, which like is me. your favorite. Indeed it is. It's written, it's not written by the Wachowskis, another one not written by them. It is written and directed by Kochi Morimoto. Sounded good to me. Thank you. Still not quite sure on that first name, but we'll go with it. Um, do you want to yeah. take this one away since it is your f- one of your favorites? This one's just about a girl who has a cat, and the cat wanders off. She follows it, and it ends up in this weird little abandoned house yeah. that all these kids are also hanging out at and there's all these weird anomalies going on there where like the gravity seems to be messed up shadows don't line yeah, up yeah yeah and like there's doors that open into nothingness and, and all this sort of stuff and um, there's sort of a framing device where you're seeing a view of the city that indicates there's an error happening in this location and that's why this is going on the matrix is glitching and so she and the kids and the cat are all just sort of hanging out there. And mm-hmm. then uh, the you know agents, the machines, the police come and they shut it down. And they kick them all out. And you see her and some of the kids outside. And they seem to have, a, some of them seem to have lost some memory of what's happened. And also the house is, is no longer there. It's been replaced yeah, by like an empty lot. Yeah, the next day it's like a parking lot. lot. Yeah. Yeah, and it's been fixed, essentially. And I really like this one because I think, it, for one, it's it's the one that has the least action or anything, mm-hmm. uh, except for the part where they all run in and kick the kids out. Uh, barely anything like that happens. Stressful happens. It's like a weird uh, There's a not a day lot in the life stakes. of the Matrix. Yeah. yeah, it's like, this is just something that happens like it always makes me imagine all the different stories you could tell about well like you were saying how what they talk about in reloaded about how all these these weird things that people think they see are just glitches glitches in the matrix and so many stories that could be told with that idea of like oh this area is going wrong or like Mm -hmm. these people are doing things they shouldn't be able to yeah it's it's really cool yeah it also like i said with glitches, I mean, for this particular case, 
it's kind of an explanation for haunted houses. And it also, to not as much of an extent, like animals that get freaked out by passing cars. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because it's actually agents coming to fix a glitch in the Matrix. Yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. And the art style is, is pleasant. And it's just sort of peaceful mm -hmm. compared to all the others in a very odd way. It kind of reminds me of Miyazaki. With just the tone. Yeah, it does a little bit. There's the, like, you know, the kids are, are childlike characters. There's a sense of wonder and joy up against kind of the harsh reality. It's it's the one that feels the most like you're just seeing... Slice of life. Yeah, the humanity of the people that are in the Matrix. Mm -hmm. And the weird way it could almost be pleasant, fun place on occasion. Yes. Uh, as you, before you are violently kicked out, but... You know, even so, they don't like they don't kill them. No. They just move them out of the way so. and and fix the problem. Yeah. Uh, so it's oddly uh, nice, despite that part, considering the darkness of a lot of the other shorts. Mm -hmm. It's just sort of a standard, <laughs> standard issue thing that has to be dealt with. Mm -hmm. And they don't want anyone to make a fuss about it. Yeah. There's a there's a great sense of Big Brother monitoring at the beginning. There's a sense of routine with, like, the street sign always going off and people kind of living their lives like machines and them always constantly tracking for any sense of anomaly and then honing in on it and picking it up. So mm -hmm. that's kind of a nice frame for it because even though people are kind of leading their regular lives, it's monitored the whole yeah. time. I just liked it. It captures a nice childlike wonder and it's fun because you don't really have kids as main characters in the matrix no despite one of them being named the kid he's not an actual like little kid so uh, that one's a good one the next one which is i think my favorite it's by the same guy who did a kid's story so that might be why he also did cowboy bebop which you guys should check out it's pretty good it's called a detective story. I'm not sure where this falls in the timeline, chronological timeline of the whole story, just because Trinity has longer hair and looks different. So some people say it's actually kind of a, a prequel to the events of the first Matrix, but I don't really know. I don't think it really yeah, matters. I don't think it really matters. It just deals with I a think lot I, of... I probably thought of it like that. It kind of seems like something that happened while they were trying to get information on yeah. Neo or I something like that. I guess it's because I feel like the first Matrix is the only one that makes big overt references to like Alice in Wonderland, and so does this one, whereas none of the sequels really do. And it does kind of deal with Trinity as a hacker and really directly references the line when Neo first meets her in the Matrix, and he's like, you're Trinity? I thought you were a guy. <laughs> She's like, a lot of people make that assumption. And that assumption is kind of played out here. But in this one, it's got a, a film noir, gritty detective yes. vibe, which is great. There's a detective who is down on its luck, gets a mysterious call, telling him to track down this hacker named Trinity. And so he kind of follows through with that, discovers that there's been other detectives who have been hired to track Trinity down. One of them killed himself, one of them disappeared, one of them went crazy. He meets the one that went crazy, and there's all these Alice in Wonderland references that the guy gives him. So he starts going on online forums, has a conversation with Trinity and riddles about Alice in Wonderland. He figures it out. He has to go on a train to find her. Does so, finds her. Agents follow after them. They try and take over his body, so Trinity to save him 
slash not get caught herself shoots him. He takes it very well. <laughs> and she's just like, I, for what it's worth, I think you would have been able to handle the truth. And he's like, goodbye, Trinity. And she's like, goodbye. And then he does the classic, the case to end all cases type of thing. And, you know, lights a cigarette while the while the <laughs> agents come. So yeah. it's fun because um, it, it's like a weird combo of like a, I don't know, like 30s like gangster aesthetic. But it ties in like tech. So when he's, you know, tracking down Trinity, obviously hackers and these forums and, you know, the, the computer and stuff that he's using is futuristic or at mm-hmm. least not from the 30s so it's kind of a fun combo of the two and it's fun to see trinity thrown into like a noir type situation still dressed in all of her leather (laughs) so it's just kind of a fun clashing of two genres and the music's fun it reminds me of cowboy bebop it's very jazzy it's super jazzy and it's also kind of similar to the kid and you know the uh, world record one it talks about people who are becoming if not fully aware of the matrix and this one's more tragic similar to world record where he's almost on the verge of finding out what the matrix is but then agent starts to take over his body so it takes a tragic turn so Mm. it's a a kind of a nice reminder that not everybody gets out of the matrix and it, it emphasizes kind of the the ultimate power that agents have within that that particular simulation Mm -hmm. so it's a good one yeah i like that one i like that one a lot i also like the references through the looking glass computer screens oh it also has the really creepy eye stuff i guess it's trinity's thing when she tracks yeah when she tracks down people she's like all right come with me the first thing she does is like hold up you got a bug except this time it's in the eye (laughs) it's it's much worse much worse uh, dreams and reality are in that one because she's like did you dream of having an eye exam and he's like yeah it really happened and <laughs> it was horrifying uh, <laughs> so that freaked me out a little bit and she also has discussions about a trap versus a test versus choice i think that is something that also gets explored in the sequel yes choice is a very popular word yes and test as well <laughs> it's always fun to see characters from the movies show up because i think and it is voiced by the actual actors, which is also really nice. You can yes. tell they were on board with the project. Because, you know, you have Keanu actually voicing Neo in the kid's story. And same with Trinity for the kid's story and the detective story. So good ones. It's the last one, right? Yeah. Oh, Lord. Okay. <laughs> the last one is called Matriculated. And it is like one big LSD trippy mindfuck. <laughs> the best way I can put it and this similar to like the second renaissance one I mean all of them if you really wanted to deep dive this one you could talk about for hours I mean there's just a whole lot of fuckery going on yes and I think this one is placed at the end just yes. because it's the one that's the most likely to leave you thinking what the fuck oh uh, yeah I don't know <laughs> what happened which is a nice way to feel yeah uh, this one was dir- written and directed by Peter Chung so there you go Mm-hmm. Do you want to take it away? <laughs> All right. Yeah, so it's, you see a bunch of, like, a crew that seems yeah. to be sort of stationed they're, somewhere. They're on the surface. They're on the surface, yeah. They're, and They're not below. Of reality. Yeah. They are watching out for incoming machines, uh, and some of them come in, and they set a trap for them where they have them fight another machine that they appear to have converted to their side somehow. 
and that one actually gets destroyed, but they capture one of the, the ones that was attacking, and they decide they're going to convert this one. So quite a lot of the short is given up to this process where they plug the machine in to a program with the rest of the crew. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to describe. Yes. But through it's a very visual, non-expositional story. Uh, acid trip. You can yeah, say you acid trip. Acid trip. You see the machine converted to their side, essentially. Well, I can admit, I think, that we did a little bit of a reading, reading of what other one. people thought to yeah. figure out what it's, was going on. Yeah. It's also one of those ones where it's very open-ended interpretation because it's such visual storytelling. Yes. Um, but they, they essentially seem to give the machine a little body in the program that looks more humanoid. It's like they're trying to get it to relate to them more. Mm-hmm. Where they are all represented by these creatures that are still humanoid, but you know more shiny, beautiful machine-like yeah. than they would have been in real life. And they sort of follow it around and are very playful with it in this very strange, colorful maze that they're all trapped in. Again, acid trip, yes. guys. And uh, most, I think, importantly, there's a part where uh, the machine encounters a bunch of like, technology and um, mechanical arms sort of spiky thing, mm-hmm. and it attacks him, and then they all they save him from it as if they are creating a scenario where where it is provoked by a machine, but now it has been saved by the humans yeah. to like make it loyal to Yeah, them. there's a part, it's again, this one is super trippy, you have to watch it for yourself. Um, there's a part where he enters it, and he's still in like his machine form, and then part of his skin gets stripped away, and rolls away into a little ball. Mm-hmm. Gets the humanoid form you're talking about, and there's like a little, it looks kind of like the the bug that went into Neo's stomach falls away from his body, the machine's body, in this humanoid form. They capture it, and then they set it into the ground, and it starts destroying stuff. So the implication mm-hmm. is, like, there's a machine side of you that is, like, destructive. It's like your search-and-destroy programming. And, and then they help it, yeah, they it, help it escape. And specifically, it seems drawn to the, the sort of the main character, the woman who you're following from the start of this short, uh, her avatar. And it it's like forms it likes a connection her, with yeah, her. It's connected with her. And uh, I think I, I saw it suggested somewhere. The ideas they're presenting with all these very human uh, ideas of like playfulness and love and mm-hmm. connection that the machines don't have. And basically it works and it is converted, but while the process is happening, mm-hmm. um, more machines attack in reality. A lot of the crew is killed, however, the machine that was converted manages to to stop the attack machines and, uh, well, save them. They're pretty much all dead, except for the woman. That it bonded Uh, with. Yeah, and uh, she's unconscious, and it it plugs her back in to the program, and she just appears in it, and she screams, and she disappears, and she appears to die in real life, and essentially seems that the, the machine is converted but it liked it so much in there that now that's just where it wanted to be <laughs> and nice. she, yeah she she appearing in there she's like I don't want to be here you know this was just a program we made to convert you it seems like she's like I'm trapped in here now with this yeah. thing and she and screams uh, and she dies anyway probably from her, her injuries from the attack 
So mm -hmm. the machine is basically rejected right before she dies, and then it's left all alone, and you see it like guarding the outpost much like she was at the start of the yeah. episode. Which some people have interpreted as the machine taking her consciousness before she dies. Yeah, I've seen that. Which I, I didn't get when I saw it. I think it's more tragic and more poignant for it to be left alone after this conversion. Yeah, it no could be. I don't really see any like textual evidence. Yeah. Like it's not like there's anything to contradict it, but yeah. I don't know why. It's just an interpretation thing, but I'm saying on like a storytelling level, I think it's more um impactful if it's left alone after yeah. this conversion. I think it's just it's alone. It's like it, yeah. it understands humans now, but now it there aren't any humans left. It went from red to green, which is yes. a sign of conversion. It did. Yeah. But this and one is interesting. I think I, I said it, I, I thought of it more as kind of like a flip of the coin for the potential between machines and humans in simulations. Yeah. It's like an inverse of cipher of people in the real world wanting to go back into the matrix because the machines, the actual machines, not agents who are in like programs, mm -hmm. um, are in the real world and then they go in a simulation to get reprogrammed. Yeah. So it's... It They're trying to make it human, but yeah. they can't do it with human tools. Right. They have to do it by tricking it, essentially, with a program. And I think there's so much going on yes. <laughs> that uh, there are many interpretations that could be had. Uh, I feel like ours is pretty solid. <laughs> I think, in a way, this is this one is more about the visuals of it. This is more just about how it makes you feel and looks uh it ends, whatever your interpretation, it's definitely sad. You're mm. left feeling. They kill a monkey. Yes, the monkey does. <laughs> There's that randomly too. a monkey in here that it also in the Matrix because he can plug in. It's weird. Yeah, I'm not well, that's sure about just that some one. anime stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, being shoved in there as well. Yeah, I like, um, I was going to say that visually it's very stunning, but similar to the second renaissance ones it deals a lot with questioning kind of the the ethics behind the matrix yeah. and some of the conversions because the lead lady is talking to the main uh, engineer scientist guy who once they've knocked out this machine for conversion they're talking about like the ethics of the conversion because his whole point is we're on the surface we're trying to non-violently convert these machines so they can see our point of view so we can kind of start working together as opposed to like forcefully reprogramming reprogramming them yeah yeah so our humans in this one definitely seem to be trying yes. to be more ethical and having an alternative to just killing off machines and yeah. trying to survive below the surface Which definitely ties into the rest of the story in general because yeah. That's it's talking part about of the theme is that that just having a, a war between them can't really fix it all. Yeah, it's there not sustainable. A, a there third has option. Yeah, there, it's not sustainable. There has to be kind of a a symbiotic relationship, but not as symbiotic as it currently is. Yes. Like living together, but not physically take over an energy source that is a body. <laughs> mm -hmm. Living in harmony together, I guess, is a better word for it. But it, it does deal with a lot of discussions about dreaming and reality and dreaming lets your mind know that it's reality and it's yeah we're trying to convert it but under a simulation that we designed so is that really a, a true conversion so it's just a lot of ethical discussion about that their intentions are good but the way they're going about it 
they debate whether or not that is actually right. Yeah. Either way, and tragically, all of them die yes, except for the is. machine. In general, that is. The machine is. is by himself. It's sort of anticlimactic, you know. You just you just see him alone. Mm-hmm. And now it's the credits. The whole thing is over. Yes. All the shorts are done. And then the credits roll, and it's all just snippets of dialogue. Yeah, it's kind of cool. And screams <laughs> from all the shorts you've just Strange seen. Strange remix of of the whole Animatrix. Yes. There's a lot going on with these shorts. Mm-hmm. Like I said before, with the Matrix episode, there's a lot in there that we can't cover or haven't covered, and there are a ton of resources online if you want to dive deeper into it. Yeah, it's but just cool to see many different perspectives. Yes. Tackling the same idea. I think a large part of the appeal mm. for the Chowskis was that uh, they're obviously heavily inspired by anime and, and probably some of these specific people yes. uh, to make the Matrix in the first place. Yeah. So it's like giving back in a way to let some of these people make their own mark on the universe. Mm-hmm. Chowskis have created, which is which is cool, mm-hmm. and also just full circle in a way. So it's really unsurprising that they, they did this, I think, mm-hmm. in the first place. And almost just surprising that they haven't done any animation since. Yeah. Well, I mean, they they wrote, I think, like maybe four of them, or people at least got ideas from four of them. And that in itself, if you're saying like four out of nine, well, then you have, you know, five other people that came up with their own stuff mm-hmm. that they liked. So it's really just a tribute to how expansive the world can be and how creative you can get with it. And the best way to kind of display that creativity is through animation. There's a lot of, you know, stuff with dealing with reality and what's real and what's not, and also a physicality to it that's really cool. Things can be exaggerated more, and it's fun to see people kind of take that and run with it. Yeah. And like you said, it's really great that they are very, very interested and really wanted to reach out to these very famous animation houses and animators and have them just kind of take a whack at it and join the world so it's cool it's uh it's a lot you're getting a lot of stuff thrown at you with all these shorts it's a lot to take in recommend it to anyone who uh didn't like the sequels yeah unless you have a very strong bias against animation (laughs) yes um, I would still check it out because the, like I said, you could go on and on about this for a while, just even in terms of talking about the animation style and what it provides to the storytelling and the differences between them. And then also discussing just the chronology of all the shorts. It's good. It really helps fill out the holes that you feel might be missing when you jump into the sequels. Mm-hmm. So, highly recommended, for sure. Yeah, what's next time? Next time, <laughs> uh, next we will be finally covering the Matrix Reloaded. So all the references we were making in this one will Matrix be Matrix locked yeah, and loaded, locked and reloaded. Redemption. Yes, Matrix, Matrix harder. <laughs> uh, so we'll be doing that next time, and then following up, of course, with the final Matrix film, and then we will be done with Matrix Worlds and can get into other films and adaptations so that'll be good is reloaded a pun yes which i wanted to talk about i never figured that out before really it took me like a couple of years (laughs) (laughs) to make that connection 
like reloading, rebooting. It should have been like Matrix rebooted. That would have been funny. Something to think about for next time you get it. It's good to know. <laughs> All right, so we should probably sign off. Uh, this is Vicky. This is Camden. And this was the Animatrix. We'll talk to you guys soon. I have to do my little Wachowski. Wachow. You don't have to. But I do. I feel like it's a thing now. Wachow. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye, listeners. <laughs> If you guys liked our show, please let us know. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcast, and also feel free to contact us on our main website. That one is grumpyoctopusproductions.com. That I'll link you up to all of our social media. You can follow us on Twitter and or like us on Facebook, and you can reach out to us at our email account. That is grumpyoctopusproductions at gmail.com. I think we're sensing a bit of a trend here. <laughs> um, also on the website, you guys can check out all of our episode and production notes and fun little extras as well. So, as always, thanks for listening, loyal listeners. Alrighty, signing off.